0: The following content contains adult subject matter, including descriptions of sexual abuse of minors, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences, therefore discretion is advised. Julius Schacknow,
1: liked to be known as Brother Julius. He was your typical kind of cult leader. He wanted to end the world in a fiery judgment and he also claimed, as all the best do, to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ.
0: Brother Julius also said that he was an oracle of God who had been sent to save the world and get rid of all of the evil. And he told his followers that they could reach eternal salvation by having sex with him.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week we're going to cover your favourite cults, faith followers and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes.
0: And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, you and your little ears are correct.
1: We're going to talk today about Brother Julius Shacknow and his cult, the work. Shaq now liked to be known as the sinful messiah
0: and claimed that he had to sin to know what it was like. Plot twist. We'll get into how he convinced women to sleep with him all in the name of God and how he got his followers to help him build a company that did $100 million a year in sales. This guy's interesting. He's a bit different. He's a bit of a plot twist. He's uh going after adult women for a start. Yeah. Uh I an mean, enormous financial success. Yes, yes. Also, the sinning part. He's like, mm. yeah, I gotta do it. Gotta sin. I'm a sinner. He's not like tying it up just in because he is saying to people, if you have sex with me, then you'll be, you'll get salvation. Mm-hmm. But I will be sinning, but it's for the greater good. That is because I'm the reincarnation of Jesus Christ.
1: Which is doctrine-wise, does kind of make sense. Mm. Because Jesus died for our sins, therefore mankind was forgiven kind of
0: wholesale because mm-hmm. Jesus, like, sucked them all up. Yeah, yeah. So he's doing it with his dick.
1: Yes! Rather yes. than
0: by being horribly nailed to a cross. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: let's get into Julius Shacknell's early life. Julius was born in Brooklyn, New York City in 1924. He said he was raised in the Jewish faith and his family didn't have much money. Not much is known about Julius's early years, but we do know that he dropped out of high school and that he had a brother. After dropping out of high school, Julius joined the US Navy during World War II, where he served in the South Pacific. And it's been reported that he went AWOL several times. While in the Navy, he claimed to experience something he later described as, quote, God consciousness. Julius said that he had a vision in which he was taken to heaven. And this is where he had a one-on-one meeting with God. He said that God told him to study the Bible and that he had been chosen to get rid of the evil in
0: the world. But when a Navy psychologist heard about Julius's vision, they admitted him to a hospital. He was soon given an honorable discharge. A Boston Globe article from 1972 said that one of the reasons Julius left the military was because of his faith. While he was serving, he realized the bombing things went against his beliefs. Not long after leaving the military, Julius converted to Christianity, got married, and had two children. In 1947, he studied scripture at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which was run by Protestant fundamentalists. In 1950, his wife asked for a divorce for, quote, religious incompatibility. According to the Hartford Current newspaper, some of Julius's Christian colleagues rejected him, saying that he was, quote, a dangerous man who lied and was dictatorial. Wouldn't that be like the worst, like, uh, appraisal note that's written against you at your place of work? They're <laughs> just like, all of his colleagues don't like him because they think he's a dangerous man who lies and is dictatorial. <laughs> I mean, it's basically <laughs> Boris Johnson's school reports. Have you seen those? They're literally just like, this This boy has
1: absolutely no concern for anyone he has ever met. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hilarious. But also,
1: I will say, apart from the military bit, quite similar to Jesus's life so far, apart from the carpentry, obviously, <laughs> but Jewish family, no money, mm-hmm. and then becomes a Christian, even though Jesus never did. Maybe he was right then- all along. Maybe, maybe this is the episode where we we actually just convert to the work. Wouldn't that be a twist? Wouldn't it be a twist? Nobody knows where they are anymore because they they're on a commune somewhere. They joined a fifties cult. <laughs> they, they invented time travel and then were never seen again. Were never seen again. Tragic. Around 1955, while staying with a fundamentalist pastor in St. Louis, he met and married a woman affiliated with the pastor's church. They had two children together. During the second marriage, Julius travelled around the country where he met with fundamentalist groups and did odd jobs. Like maybe carpentry. In 1959, the pastor of the St. Louis Church believed Julius was trying to take over his ministry, probably because he fucking was. And Julius's wife also accused him of cheating on her around this time. They were divorced by 1960. In 61, Julius moved to Cleveland, Tennessee, which is i believe reasonably far away and i didn't know there was a cleveland in tennessee
0: no i thought it was like it's ohio no yeah cleveland ohio well there you go guys couldn't even come up with a different name call it land cleave land cleave in their defense where the land cleaves the united states (laughs) be huge
1: (laughs) and while living in tennessee not ohio julius got involved with leaders of a pentecostal denomination known equally inspiringly named as the Church of God. They were impressed with Julius's knowledge of the scriptures, but within a year of knowing him, they censured Julius for disagreeing with the church's tenets. Soon after, Julius moved in with a woman called Joanne. They eventually settled in New Jersey and had three children together. Joanne also had children from a previous marriage, but Julius's four children from his previous marriages stayed with their mothers.
0: Julius got a job working as an electronic parts buyer for a telecommunications company. On his lunch breaks, he ran a Bible study class and eventually started preaching in local churches. I can't imagine why all of his co-workers don't like him. (laughs) Do you want to um, buy a ticket for the raffle, Julius? No, but I would like to tell you about the Word of God Yeah, yeah. um, and my work that I'm doing with the Church of God. And then just blank stares at them.
1: How is he getting all these ladies?
0: I don't know. Find out. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Julius would quote the Book of Revelation, specifically noting the two witnesses section, which talks about the final two prophets, who, put simply, will save the world from an antichrist and usher in Jesus' return. Not surprisingly, Julius claimed that he and his wife were the two prophets. Julius called Joanne the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting pet name. Oh, gross. (laughs) Uh. I'm upset. (laughs) We're all upset. (laughs) (laughs) Get over it.
1: Get back in your booth, podcast monkey.
0: According to Julius, God told him that he was on the earth to experience all vices and evils. This would obviously help him know right from wrong. Basically, what he's telling everybody is that he can justify... Doing whatever he wanted to do because if he does everything that he wants to do, which is do all of these vices, it will make him more able to tell right from wrong. It will make him a more pious person and closer to God in some weird way.
1: I dunno. Heroin's a hell of a drug. Like I I just don't know if I'd be able to pull it back. <laughs> I don't think he does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Julius quit his job with the telecommunications company in 1968 and became a full-time preacher. By 1969, Julius had around 25 followers. You know what? Your side hustle's got to start somewhere. Get that man on in Instagram. <laughs> That's
1: influencer status
0: right there. Blue ticks are coming. Do you know what? With his magical dick, though, I think he just goes straight to OnlyFans.
1: <laughs> coming up. We'll get into why Brother Julius moved away from the traditional church and founded his own group called The Work.
2: What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkas series, Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The rise and fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 years of Roswell, the tragic death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify.
0: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So let's get into the beginnings of Brother
1: Julius's cult. By 1970, Julius had managed to get a decent amount of followers. Many would attend his daily Bible classes, and eventually he called the group The Work. It was also in 1970 when Julius said publicly that he was Jesus Christ. And did you know that Paul McCartney once allowed someone claiming to be Jesus Christ into a Beatles recording studio session? I did not. And he said Mm. that he did it because he was like, well, I didn't think it actually was Jesus, but just in case it was, I wasn't going to be the one to turn him away.
0: (laughs) Especially after all that stuff we've been saying about being bigger than him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, John. (laughs) And uh, after he decided that he was one of the many thousands of people who have claimed to be Jesus Christ incarnate, it was around this time when he separated himself from other churches. Julius's sermons could last up to six hours. Some of his followers claimed that Julius cured them of their addictions, probably because he nicked all their drugs, and then helped them with other ailments. If you need a picture of what Brother Julius looked like, he was five foot seven, Heavyset and balding. He was known to wear a robe and, crucially, how to spot a dickhead throughout all ages of history. One singular gold hoop earring. Wow. So look. Has anyone successfully pulled it off apart from Ronan Keating?
0: I think not. Well, but brother Julius, apparently. He's up to wife number three. <laughs> <laughs> so as his following grew, Julius decided to pick 12 of his followers to be his apostles, of course you need backup. You need an entourage. So Julius's chief apostle was a guy called Paul Sweetman. How many apostles can you name? Uh, I can just name some biblical names and probably get like six of them right. Go on then. But who was Jesus's main man? Who was Jesus's main chief apostle? The, oh, Peter. Peter. The rock upon I built my church. Uh, so Peter, Paul, John, yep. Luke, yep. Matthew. Mm. No.
1: I oh, wrote a gospel. I don't know if he counts as one of the 12. That's all I got, I reckon. Thomas, the
0: tax collector. Uh, David? No. Uh, Mark? Mark. Jamie? Jeremy. <laughs> Robbie? Big Zeus. <laughs> In the late 1960s, the pair, so we're talking about Julius and his main man, Paul Sweetman, reportedly swapped wives. Joanne, the Holy Spirit, became Paul's partner and took his last name. Paul's wife, Minnie, moved in with Julius. But she died not long after moving in with him in 1970. It's not clear whether it was from boredom listening to and practicing six-hour sermons or not. In 1971, the group moved to Connecticut. Brother Julius was now in his late 40s. Julius told his followers that he was upset with all the, quote, cheating, stealing, lying, and sodomizing. He also said, quote, I'm warning all the inhabitants of Earth. Change your ways, turn back to God, or divine destruction is coming. And give all the heroin to me. And leave all of the fucking cheating, stealing, lying and sodomising also to me. Exactly. In 1972,
1: the Boston Globe reported that his sermons had apocalyptic themes and were a mixture of science fiction, Christian fundamentalism, faith healing and occultism. Here are just some of his claims. Earthquakes would hit the east coast of America. By 1980, there would be a nuclear war. That God would rule from a 33,500-foot mountain. And by then, there would be seven women to every single one man. And finally, that Satan would rise up in Julius's body, and he would become a world dictator and chop people's heads off. Members of the work were told to hand over their money to Brother Julius and give up all of their possessions. And they were told the money collected was to help spread Brother Julius's message. Followers were encouraged to cut off ties to family and friends and all relationships had to stay within the group. Julius tended to pick followers who were dependent on substances as well as people with mental health problems, which is quite unusual for cult collectees. Usually they like successful, good-looking people because then it makes it look like their mission is successful and Mm good-looking.
0: It's because he's a mess. Yes. Getting high off his own supply. (laughs) Not thinking clearly. In cult land. So according to former members, Julius was known to arrange marriages within the group. He also encouraged members not to have kids because he said that the world was, quote, an evil place. According to People magazine, who investigated the cult in 2019... Julius told followers that having sex with him, the sinful Messiah, was the only way they would be able to reach eternal salvation. Members wore robes and large pendants. They couldn't wear black because it was the color of the devil. Makeup was also disapproved of because it was associated with, quote, loose women. Followers were also given a word that would represent their angelic quality. Some were called joy, peace, and tenderness, But if a member stepped out of line, their name might be taken away. Hannah, what would be your uh, one-word name to represent your angelic quality? Giggles. (laughs) Giggles.
1: (laughs) No. Uh,
0: Thunder. Thunder. Mm. Well, there you go. This episode of Sinister Society is brought to you by Thunder and Giggles. (laughs) By 1974, Brother Julius's group, The Work, now had around 500 followers.
1: The work founded a publishing business they all fucking do called the Anointed Music and Publishing Company. They even had their own house band called Anointed. Does a publishing company need a house band? Uh, They are a music company Uh, also. You're right, you are right. Um, But... Yeah, maybe they had a very empty foyer that just needed some lilting live music. Maybe in the maybe, background.
0: Maybe Red Handed Limited needs a house band, Hannah. Something to think about. <laughs> something, to, something to keep keep on the back burner for all of the extra time that we have.
1: <sighs> and this house band, it became somewhat of a passion project for Brother Julius. His mission was to sell the band's albums. So he self-published an album, essentially. And then he also wanted to publish a book in which he would chronicle the life of Jesus. But of course, that would be Julius's interpretation of Jesus's life. So Jesus fan fiction. Jesus fan fiction, um, (laughs) which show me the Jesus fact and we'll talk. The Anointed's debut album was called (laughs) God is Alive the band credited their talents and accomplishments to Brother Julius. Let's note that their talents and accomplishments are living and breathing. They have have accomplished nothing else. In fact, the group lost money from the publishing business, so it needed another source of income. So They took the next natural step and got into real estate and then the construction business. They were contracted to do work for towns, private developers and homeowners. And for a while... They were pretty successful at it. Chief Apostle Paul Sweetman, along with another apostle, headed many of the work's businesses. Employees tended to be followers of the work. Many of them said that they worked for low pay. One former member told the Boston Globe that she would only get about $60 for working 12-hour shifts, six days a week. Some former followers have said that if they didn't meet sales goals, they would, quote, face the wrath of God. I have certainly have had managers who have made me feel that way. In
0: 1976, former fundamentalist acquaintances of Julius travelled to Connecticut to challenge Julius and his claim that he was God. And it was around this time that brother Julius started to do fewer public appearances. Throughout the 1980s, there were many controversies surrounding Julius and the work. A local news report surfaced where former followers claimed that Julius had, quote, an insatiable sexual appetite, which they alleged included young girls. Julius also reportedly told a few followers that he caused the Challenger Space Shuttle to explode and that he did it to, quote, prevent Earth people from meddling with his followers on Jupiter. Was the Challenger Space Shuttle heading to Jupiter? I doubt
1: it. (laughs) And also, isn't Jupiter the one that's just... It's this just gas giant, right? Like, yeah. there's no way any... Like, no one's no one's living there. I do know. It's not no. solid. No. But if it was, then
0: I'd be like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the missing piece of this whole plan. So Julius also started to tell people that they would die if they defied him. The work began to lose followers as allegations of verbal and physical abuse began to surface. Well, that's encouraging. Yes, I'm glad that these people left. Mm. at least some of them I think he spread himself too thin he did and I think again look one thing we have learned if nothing else through our tenure at Sinister Societies is that to be a good cult leader a successful cult leader um, not good successful you've got to be disciplined and he lacks discipline and that's why people are like fuck this guy he's not Jesus wasn't even going to Jupiter I'm leaving Next up, we'll get into the allegations of abuse made against Brother Julius and the murder of his chief apostle.
1: So, let's get into the allegations of abuse made against Brother Julius.
0: Even since his early days as a preacher, Brother Julius had been accused of using his leadership position to attract and manipulate women. Former followers say that Julius had around seven so-called wives and that he would put them in rotation. He wouldn't stay with the same woman more than one or two days a week. In 1993, a former follower told the Boston Globe that when she was 19 years old and new to the cult, she was, quote, called to have sex with Julius. He reportedly told her that she was ready to, quote, receive the divine seed. And this would help her become godlike.
1: So you know the ancient Egyptians believed that the, the universe was wanked into existence. Uh-huh. Why are men so obsessed with it? <laughs> Why can't they stop? They can't stop. The, like, pharaonic period of history of which there were pharaohs was 3,000 years. <laughs> and all they were talking about was their own jeers. It's disgusting.
0: I mean, he's an amalgamation of all of the greatest leaders that ever existed. <laughs> and his divine seed will uh, will cure what ails you. Oh, fucking get over
1: it. My God.
0: Another former member who had been a part of the work cult told the Hartford Current in 1987 that when she was just 13 years old Chief Apostle Paul Sweetman took her to a motel to meet with Julius Julius made sexual contact with her telling her it was a way to get closer to God
1: In the late 1980s Julius was accused of sexual abuse by one of his own stepdaughters when she was a child She alleged that Julius started abusing her when she was just 11 years old The civil suit was settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. No criminal charges were ever brought against Julius for his stepdaughter's claims. According to the Boston Globe, Julius's son Daniel was sent to prison for sexually
0: molesting two boys. The real estate companies that the group owned did really well during the housing boom of the 80s. At one point, they did $100 million in sales annually. But when the real estate market had a downturn in the late 80s, the businesses got into financial trouble. A former member sued the works businesses for back wages and damages. The case was settled out of court for $25,000. Another member claimed to the Boston Globe in 1993 that they were also exploited financially, paid low wages, and were also made to commit fraudulent labor practices. By 1993, the works membership was down to around 50 members. That same year, Brother Julius gave an interview in which he said that he would end the world in a fiery judgment. But he didn't, because Brother Julius actually died in his sleep in July 1996.
1: Court documents indicate that following Julius's death, Chief Apostle Paul Sweetman took over as leader of the work. But Paul Sweetman's business problems were piling up. In 1999, he was indicted on charges of fraudulently taking out a $3.2 million loan from a bank. He was found guilty, and the following year, he was sentenced to three years in federal prison on conspiracy and fraud charges. He also had to pay $1.5 million in restitution. Not long after he was released from prison in 2004, Paul's partner, Joanne Sweetman, reported him missing. A month later a human leg was found near a local country club. It took an astonishing 12 years for police to figure out that that leg belonged to Paul Sweetman. In April 2016, Connecticut police heard about an open missing persons case. That case was Paul Sweetman's. And this led police to FBI records that had previously not been shared with them. It's not clear why the records hadn't been shared with the Connecticut police. We just don't know.
0: The record showed that in 2006, Joanne's son, Rudy Hannon, told the FBI that a member of the work had killed Paul. He also told them where Paul's body parts had been buried. The person that Rudy identified as the killer was Sorek Minery. Police then took DNA from Paul's son, and the DNA revealed that the leg found in 2004 did indeed belong to Paul Sweetman. Police then went to a home near where Sorek Minery lived. They excavated the ground around a shed on the property and discovered a headless torso and arms. The Hartford Current also reported that police found two gold rings. One had the name Joanne engraved on it. It's been reported that Paul Sweetman was killed, then frozen, and then dismembered. Police said that both men were involved in the killing. But Sorek told police that he was the one who cut up Paul's body with an electric saw. In
1: 2018, Sorek Minery and Rudy Hannon were arrested and charged in the death of Paul Sweetman. And it should be noted that Rudy was one of Julius's sons. Sorek and Rudy blamed each other for the murder. There's some sort of et tu brute joke here, <laughs> but I can't get to it no in my mind missed but just just know that i know <laughs> in court in 2019 a state attorney alleged that paul's wife joanne had ordered rudy and sorek to kill her husband because of a dispute over the cult's leadership joanne died in 2011 so she was never properly investigated or charged sorek pleaded no contest to conspiracy to commit murder and he was sentenced to 20 years in January 2022, so this very year, while awaiting trial in prison, Rudy Hannon died from complications of COVID-19. He was 77 years old. Following the death of Rudy, Sorek's sentence was suspended in February 2022. Also in February 2022, a state attorney dismissed the murder charges against Rudy Hannon.
0: Quite a twisty-turny
1: one today. Twisty-turny modern-timey covid Twisty-turny monies fisting fisting sure <laughs> fisting drugs all Wh- of it what else could you possibly want nothing here on sinful messiah fm
0: <laughs> absolutely bloody nothing no i think uh, the work again it comes back to him just not wanting to do the work which is quite ironic isn't it
1: yeah that's why you need your disciples you and do it for you you do thank you so much for listening i'm hannah thunder mcguire and i'm saruti bala and we'll be back next week with another great episode for today's episode we found the book speaking ill of the dead jerks in connecticut history useful we also referenced reporting by the hartford current
0: the boston globe ct insider and people magazine Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify.
1: And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter.
0: And if you like us and want to hear us talk about some more true crime, you are in luck because Hannah and I have an entire massive true crime podcast that's been running for several years now there are over 250 episodes you can go and binge your way
1: through and yeah and if you don't don't want to binge you're like I want some current shit you can go over to one of our most recent episodes on the Pied Piper of R&B R. Kelly Mm -hmm. who was sentenced last week I think as we're recording this so if you're like I need to know really horrible shit about that you can go over to the mothership at Red Handed
0: wherever you listen to your podcasts on the internet And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.
1: Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters, and Tracy Levy. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan.
0: Research by Sapphire Williams and fact-checking by Laurie Siegel. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala.